right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. It is a pleasure to be here with you. And I know we've been in uh, Matthew chapter 8, so we're going to bounce back a little bit. And we're actually going to be in Matthew 5 this morning. And we are going to be starting in verse 17. And I'm going to um, try to make this, how do I say it, Uh, concise, because we're going to go from verse 17 actually through the end of the chapter. But I think we'll manage. So as I was praying this week and as I was thinking about um, preaching this Sunday, and I was just kind of mulling over some things, and it just came to me, one of my favorite verses, and it's the very end of Matthew chapter 5. It's actually verse 48. And it's what I tell people all the time is the real great commission. And so before I get to that, it's kind of interesting as I was studying uh, Matthew, some of the things the Lord showed me, which I'm sure is not new to many people, but it was new to me at the time several years ago. And the fact is that Matthew chapter 5, which is probably the one chapter I'm more familiar with than anything, thanks to Pastor Mark, um, who made me memorize it a couple years ago. Not that I can give it to you verbatim anymore, I don't think. But it's, it's such a great chapter because Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount by simply saying, let me show you what the law of God is supposed to look like. Let me show you what you've actually been missing as you think you have been serving the Lord. And then he goes into Matthew chapter 7, which really, in my opinion, or I'm sorry, uh, Matthew chapter 6, if I can count correctly, um, which in my opinion still has a very single message. And that message is, how do I make God the priority, the number one priority at the head and above all things? And that's all of Matthew chapter 6. And so right, bef- right in between these, these two great passages where we have the law fulfilled, in love, and we have truly making God the, the head and priority of all things, there is this one verse that, in my opinion, both chapters are really glued together and hinged upon. And this one verse, this real great commission, is this in Matthew 5, verse 48. It says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I wonder how many times we just pass over that verse as we're reading. Run by it. it. Yeah, leap over it. What a a bold, daunting statement. To be perfect as our our Heavenly Father is perfect. How do you even begin to, to tackle such a command? What would that even look like? So this, this is kind of the question I was thinking of this week as I was considering this verse. And so I went back and I said, you know, I'm going to take a look at, at what Jesus has said in Matthew 5. And I started to make a list of what are the ways Jesus has, had actually shown us up before this verse on what being perfect as our Father uh, is perfect looks like. And it's interesting because once I got done with my list, I realized there were seven. Which, you know... The Lord and the number seven have a very interesting relationship, so maybe that was just coincidence. Maybe I counted wrong. I don't know, but I thought it was interesting. And so this morning, we're going to go through Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at seven ways where Jesus has given us an example on how he expects us 
to be perfect, just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The first way that we're called to be perfect like God is perfect is in our dedication and righteousness before the Lord. I want you to notice this. In chapter 5, starting in verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he makes another outstanding declaration. He says, for I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the key right there. That's the key. So listen to what Jesus is telling us. If you are not more righteous than the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I bet you some of those disciples just melted on the inside instantly. They were just done. Peter was probably trying to figure out how he was going to apologize to his father for ditching them on the boat and start fishing again. I don't know. How in the world could you do that? I'll tell you right now, I couldn't do that. Honestly, I would not even try to do such a thing. I'm just being honest. So what does Jesus mean unless somehow there's something that, the, that maybe is a, is a deeper meaning that Jesus is getting at. See, I think the Bible becomes a lot easier once we realize that uh, a lot of these things come back to a single point of issue. The, the troubles in our life, the sin of our life, you know, where we fall short, it all comes back to a single place. And that place is our heart. Place is our heart. Our heart determines whether we are clean or unclean. It's in our heart that God looks at us and declares whether we are righteous or unrighteous. And it's funny, I was talking to, uh, uh, I go to a ministry called Reset on Tuesday nights. It's at Shriner Campus. And there's some new people in charge. And um, the Lord spoke almost, it was just crazy at the beginning of the year, very prophetically, um, more than once on our first night of meeting. It's not something that's, uh, that's real usual for us. So it was it was pretty amazing, but one of the things that the Lord told us was this year is going to look a lot different than it had in the past. And to make a long story short, what that means is on Tuesday nights now, we're going out, they're going out uh, with me, and I'm going out with them, and we're just witnessing on campus. And this last week, I ran into a guy named Michael. Yes, Michael. And I was giving him the gospel, and I asked him if he wanted to lay down his life for Christ. And he said, he gave me a great question. Actually, I wish more people would ask me that. He said, well, what, what would that look like? What would that entail? I was actually kind of impressed that he even asked. And so I began to explain to him the call to follow Jesus. And he said, well, you know what? I respect that. Uh, Uh-oh, that's not, that's not really the answer I wanted to hear. He said, I respect that. He said, you know, I'm, really, I'm real spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. He said, oh, I grew up Catholic, and so, you know, I think, you know, it's good. I respect that. And, uh, you know, I said, okay, cool. I said, well, do you mind if I ask you something? Um, was Jesus a Catholic? He said, well, no. 
said, well, do you think he was Presbyterian? What about Baptist? He said, well, no, he was a Jew. I said, exactly, he was a Jew. He was a Jew. I said, I want you to know something, that your spiritualism and your religion will do nothing for you because Jesus says, if you are not more righteous than the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, and I guarantee you there is nothing you can do, sir, that will ever make you more righteous, that will ever make you more religious than the Pharisees were religious. Because it was the Pharisee next to the tax collector who threw his hands up and said, Lord, thank you that I tithe of all that I have. Jesus says, even out of their mint and cumin. And then I fast twice a week. That before these people, I've kept all your laws. Here I am in your temple. Lord, thank you. I don't even got a temple. I don't even know how to compete with that. Except for Jesus looked to the Pharisees and he says, you are going to the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because you have cleaned your vessel on the outside, but inside you're dirty. Inside you're dirty. And so there's this issue that even, even the most righteous, even the most religious, even the most law-keeping could not get themselves favor with God. In fact, they were enemies of Christ. Yet we thank God that we have a righteousness apart from the law. That Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved. Right? It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. No one can boast. But through faith and by pursuing Jesus Christ, by the indwelling and the sealing of the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity. First of all, we're made righteous by the Lord. We don't earn it. Yet in our righteousness, in our justification, let me say that, in our justification before Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been called to be faithful. And we've been called to understand the things of the kingdom. To us it has been given to know the things of the kingdom of God and to teach them. Jesus says here, I used to love teaching this to the high school students. It says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I said, I used to tell the high school students, you know, I bet, I bet not a lot of you are real worried about that. I, I bet not a lot of you are teachers. Not a lot of you have small groups on, uh, at, here at, at Ingram Tom Moore, do you? Not a lot of you are youth group leaders, are you? I said, no, no. I said, um, let me ask you something. Did your parents teach you how to cuss? They looked at me kind of funny. I said, well, no. <laughs> no. I said, well, how did you learn? Well, by hearing someone else. I said, aha. So those people were teaching you, and they didn't even realize it, did they? I said, every, everything you do, every day of your life, the way that you live, you are teaching somebody something. And if by your actions alone, you're teaching others to walk unrighteously, you will be called the least of the kingdom of God. But we have been called to follow, to do, and to teach the righteousness of the Lord through Christ Jesus. And so we're called to be perfect in our righteousness before the Lord, in our walking before the Lord, and it's something that only really God can do 
through us. We're called to be perfect in the way we portray Christ in our life. The second way that Jesus tells us we have to be perfect like the Father is this. We have to be perfect in the desires of our hearts. See, that was the thing with the Pharisees that separated the Pharisees from Christ. Is the Pharisees could do all their religious works. The Pharisees could tie. The Pharisees could go to the temple. They could walk the streets. They could throw their money into the, uh, uh, we'll call it the offering box, right? They could do all those things, but the desire in their heart was for themselves. And it was masked. They thought it was masked, right? They thought, man, nobody knows. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, don't be like the Pharisees. Because the attention they get when they stand before the crowd, that's the only reward they will receive. Why? Because that is the reward they wanted. That's the reward they wanted, the attention from the crowd. And so Jesus, you might not think of it like that, but look at this. He says, you have heard that it was said of old. Oh, I skipped one. I apologize. You have said that it was uh, heard. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So uh, let me back up. I apologize. I got out of step here. That's what happens when I don't have my little bolded list here. Um, what we're talking about here is Jesus giving us a command to be perfect, perfect in our dealings and our righteousness before others. Let me say it like this. Pastor Ray Tier, who's a good friend of ours from First Presbyterian in Ingram, he told me this in the Christian Men's Job Corps years ago, and I never forgot it. He said, I want you to remember righteousness as this. Righteousness is being in right standing with the Lord. For some reason, that just clicked, and it helped me understand that term. He said, but I want you to also know that righteousness is something that we can have and pursue with other people. And so here we see Jesus, he's talking about murder. He's talking about anger. But really, I believe he's talking about having a righteousness just as we seek before God that we seek before others. Because he starts with this, but then he says this. He also says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. You know what that says to me? That says to me that God doesn't even respect our offering. God doesn't even respect our tithe. God doesn't even respect our gifts. If we're going to offend our brothers and not care to be reconciled, if we're not going to pursue peace and righteousness and love with others. God doesn't respect that type of offering. And I can justify that, because if you go to Isaiah 58, he says the same thing about Israel and their, and their fasting. That in their fasting, they don't break the yokes of bondage. They don't seek to do good. They don't feed the hungry. They don't take in the homeless. And so he does not hear 
their cries, though he covers, they cover the altar with weeping. He does not hear them. And so God wants us to perfect our hearts as we see other people. And he's not just talking about, about our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is all people. It even says here that to agree with your adversary, the person who, has, who is against you, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary delivers you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you're not getting out till you pay what's owed, till you pay the last penny. Notice Jesus doesn't say make a really good defense. Really make sure you're right so you can explain to him how right you are. You know what? Agree with your adversary quickly that there may be peace and you may go on your way. Do not be angry in your heart towards someone without a cause. Because by doing so, you become a murderer and you are not in righteous standing. Do not come and offer a gift before God if you have not cleansed your heart of anger. Because God is not well pleased with that. And make peace with those around you. The third way we're called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, and this is what I jumped ahead of myself on, I apologize, is in the hidden desires of our heart. And he tells us this through the example of adultery. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And then he says the same thing about your hand. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. Let that perish rather than your soul. Now what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus really talking just about adultery here? No. Is Jesus really asking you to, hey, you know what? Just pluck your eyes out, sew your mouth up, you know? Most of us, you know, we have, some of us have problems with our lips. Let's just sew them up. No, 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 no. Is your hand what causes you to sin? No. Your hand does what, it tells, what you tell it to, right? Is your eye the problem? No. Your eye does what you tell it to. The problem is your heart. And Jesus says, don't think that because you don't go touch a woman or you don't go touch a man physically that you're clean. No, because God sees your heart. And those things that are hidden from the world are not hidden before the Lord. And so what Jesus is really telling us is anything that makes you stumble, if a relationship is making you stumble, cut it off and get as far away from it as you can. If internet sites are making you stumble, cut it off and get as far away from it as you can. If you're, you know, I don't know, Netflix is making you stumble. Sorry, Stephen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> cut it off and get as far away from it as you can. God sees the hidden things of your heart, and they're not hidden. 
before the Pharisees. Many times Jesus was, was uh, out and about. There was even a time where he was at a Pharisee's house, and a woman came, and she poured out oil on his feet. Expensive, expensive oil. I'll tell you what. And she was cleaning his feet with her hair. Is that the same one? I think it is, right? There we go. And in his heart, not out loud, in his heart, the Pharisee said, if Jesus knew who that woman was, a sinner, he wouldn't let her do that. And it said that Jesus knew his heart and spoke to him in response to those thoughts. Our hearts are not hidden before the Lord. And even if our desires are not inherently bad, or if to us there's a justification for them, if our desires are not first and foremost for the will of God, fact in James, James? In James, I think, all throughout the Bible, somewhere. <laughs> it says, in fact, several times it says, let there be no selfish ambition. Let there be no conceit, right? And if you have envy, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie about the truth. What does that even mean? Why would they lie about the truth? Well, they have to boast to try to cover their motives. And then when their motives are exposed, they have to lie to cover up their boasting. Do not boast. Do not lie about the truth if the intentions of your heart are impure. Let Jesus Christ cleanse them. The fourth way that Jesus teaches us we have to be perfect like our heavenly Father is perfect is in our covenant and our marriage vows. You know, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, Malachi 2. Oh, man, Malachi is an interesting book. Malachi 2. I think I misquoted earlier when I, when I uh, spoke about God responding to the men weeping over the altar. That's actually from Malachi 2, I believe. And he, one of the issues that he takes up with the people in Malachi 2 is that they have been unfaithful to their marriage covenant. And all of the things, including the holy offspring that God desires from a marriage, which are supposed to come out of that perfect union, that perfect display of God in his church, Christ in his church, because they have profaned their marriage covenant, he would not hear their prayers. And in fact... Um, Man, I'm, I'm not doing too hot today. I need to read more. I think it's in First Peter, uh, one of the Peters. They even write that as a husband, if you're not treating your wife right, your prayers may not be heard. Peters, one of the Peters, right. I'm getting a nod from the, from the, the, more, uh, the better pastor. But it says this, furthermore, Jesus says, you've heard that it's said, whoever divorces his life, wife, give her a certificate of divorce. But he says to you, I say that if you divorce your wife for any reason except sexual immorality, you cause her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries such a woman commits adultery. Why? Well, let me tell you why. You know what I tell people all the time, especially young couples, man, they need to, they need to hear this. The state does not marry you. A judge does not marry you. No man marries you. When you make a covenant before God in a relationship with a man or a woman, depending on, you know, your side of the spectrum, God 
marries you. And two, become one. And Jesus says in another place, therefore, what God has joined, let not man separate. So if God has not dissolved your marriage, but the judge has, God's view of your marriage stands. And Jesus says, if you think you can get by with divorcing your wife for your own frivolous means, I will, co- I will consider you an adulterer. That's heavy. That's heavy. Especially in America where it's so prevalent and when our view of marriage and holiness and sanctification is so poor. It's so heavy. But we don't understand how holy God is. We don't understand the image God is trying to show us about his love towards us. Because when we stumble, when we leave, when we're uh, slow to, to listen and quick to be angry, when we're disobedient, and when we have desires for anything and everything other than God, he does not divorce us. He loves us, and he pursues us the same today as he did when we first started, man. Man, you're going to get me crying again. What are, you, what are y'all guys doing to me? He pursues us the same at the end as he did at the beginning. If that's not a mark for marriage, I don't know what is, man. We are called to be perfect in our marriage, to forgive our spouse, to love our spouse, to honor our spouse. In 1 Corinthians oh man, 7, Paul writes that you need to give your spouse the affection due to them. Due to, that means you owe it. They don't have to earn it. It's not based on what they're going to give you in return or what they gave you before. You owe it. If I own a company and, we, and I have a contract with a, with a homeowner and I have a foreman, he comes up and he tells me that, that the owner's being rude and yada, yada, yada. You know what I'm going to probably tell him? You know what? You go do the work that's due to that homeowner. We have been paid. I have commissioned you. We're not doing work because of their attitude. We owe them that. You go do it. Maybe that's not a good analogy, but really, that's how we stand. We owe our spouse the affection that we made a covenant before God to give them. The same way God never stops giving it to us. Next, Jesus tells us to be perfect in our word. In our word. Has God ever lied to anybody in the room? Show of hands? I didn't think so. God's word, God's promise, God's declaration stands. God speaks the, the beginning from the end. No one can restrain his hand. And everything God says comes to pass. He doesn't need to swear on anything. In fact, there's nothing greater for God to swear upon than himself. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, dang it, I'm doing it again. Chapter 2, I'm not, I'm not doing so hot this morning. Yeah, for me. 2 Corinthians, y'all need to go back and check these scriptures, by the way. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes that in Christ, all his promises are yes and amen. That's it, period. 
And so here Jesus tells us, you have heard, you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all. Don't take an oath at all. Not by heaven, for that's God's throne. You have no authority over that. Don't swear by earth, because it's his footstool. You have no authority over that. Not by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot even make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything that comes back, you being able to say yes and entrusting yourself to your own word, anything that comes beyond you saying no and entrusting yourself to your own word, it says in that final verse, anything more than this comes from the evil one. It comes from the evil one, not from the Lord. Don't swear by your grandma or, you know, whatever, by my next paycheck. Don't swear by anything. Let your yes be your ness and your no be your no. Number six, Jesus says be perfect in your giving. What a great day for you to come, brother. <laughs> Thank you for being here with the Gideons. Be perfect in your giving. People ask me all the time, you know, well, where is the 10% tithing in the New Testament? And I say, well, actually, there is no 10% tithing in the New Testament. So actually, what Jesus does is he raises the bar. He raises the standard. That's a whole other sermon, but you have heard that it was said, verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him. I, I paraphrase a little bit here as I read. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And we heard from Pastor Mark a, a month or so back that it wasn't even lawful to sue someone for their cloak because it was a necessity of life. Jesus says, if someone wants your tunic, give even that. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. What is God, what is Jesus saying? Is he just saying, you know what, here's a law, here's how you need to give, make sure you not, make sure if someone asks you specifically a mile, you go two, right? One foot, you go two feet. It, you know, if someone wants your shirt, hey, give them a jacket. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, yes, but in a sense, no, because it's more than that. Jesus is saying, you know what, if someone, it's easy for me. If Benito says, hey man, I'm going to walk a mile, would you walk with me? Man, I'd be easy for me to walk two miles with Benito. I love Benito. I'd enjoy the fellowship, right? You know what? I might, might, I might even think that he deserves for me to walk two miles with him. It's easy to think, well, you know, someone really deserves it. You know, they're hardworking and they're in a hard place in their life. You know, I'd give them a little help. I mean, they earned that. Jesus could have started with any subject, Anything. You know what Jesus starts with? And I, I understand this because all my questions are loaded, right? I always have an agenda when I start asking questions. I mean, it's very specific, okay? Jesus is the same way. It's probably where I got it from, okay? And he starts with this first thing. He says, let me just read it. 
again. But if I but I tell you not to resist an evil person. An evil person. We're not talking about somebody who deserves your respect. We're not talking some about somebody who has earned a, ha a handout. If an evil person wants to take what is rightfully yours and they have no claim to, give it to them. And you know what? The idea is here, give it to them willingly. Give it to them willingly. Give, give them more and do it willingly, not out of law, out of, because your heart should have a compassion and a love and a mercy that is found by the relationship of a living God who has the same compassion, a love, and mercy. When you deserve nothing but the lake of fire, he gave you his son. Give willingly, lovingly. If someone strikes you, give even your own body as a testimony to who God is and the reality of him in your life. And if someone wants to borrow and you have it to give, who provides your bills? Do you, do you work real hard and do you make your living? I'm sure maybe you do, but God has given you that as a gift and that should humble you. And God has provided to provide your needs and when you have a 20 and it's your last 20 and you have no gas and God puts a man before you who is in need and you give that to him, God will provide for your gas. You give as God the Father who has unlimited resources gives. Finally, Jesus teaches us we have to be perfect in our love. In our love, just as God's love is perfect and without partiality. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which, as Pastor Mark reminded us, is not, hate, the hate your enemy part is not an Old Testament scripture quote. Right? That was their own doing. But I say to you, Jesus says love. Listen to these. Pay very close attention. These are action words. These are command and action words. Love your enemies. We get this idea that love is a feeling. They have to feel good about it. No, no, no. Love is an action. When it says that God is love and it describes that love, it was Jesus going to the cross. There was commitment. There was action. There was sacrifice. And there is no Christian love without sacrifice. Jesus is telling us to get action. Love your enemies. If someone curses you, Jesus' command is to bless them in return. That's an action. Bless your enemies. That doesn't mean just don't be angry. No, do good towards them. Speak good over them. Bless them. And do good to those who hate you. If someone wants to slander you, love them. If they want to throw rocks at you, you know what? Bake them some cookies. I don't know. I love cookies. If I was being mean to somebody and they, they made me cookies, I would instantly like that person because I like cookies that much. Do good. That's an action to those who hate you. And pray. That's an action for those who spitefully use you, spitefully use you, and persecute you. That means these are people who have taken from you, who have offended you, who have maybe physically harmed you, 
And Jesus says, in the humility and the love of your heart, just as the Father has given you, you pray for those people. And finally, he shows us the fullness of God's character and how it should be seen in our lives. He says that if we do this, we will be sons of the Father in heaven. For he, for God, he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. There's no partiality there. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And if, do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not tax collectors do so also? We get this idea that, you know, if we smile real big and we're real friendly to other Christians and we don't, you know, cuss at other people, you know, we can come to church, we can hug, we can go home, and we've, we've, we've done a great Christian thing. We're great Christian people because we're nice to other Christians. And yet some of us with that attitude, then we go to a, a restaurant and the waiter spills the tea and we get angry and we say, well, there goes his tip. Which, hey, if you decide not to tip someone because you get bad service, that's on whatever, okay? That's a different story. There's actually a sign in Jimmy John's. Uh, one time I was in Jimmy John's, and there's a list of things. This is so funny. And one of the things on this list is, if someone is nice to you but mean to the waiter, they are not a nice person. <laughs> that was one of the things, and I said, that is, the, that is the truest thing I've ever read, other than the word of God right there. If you only greet people who greet you, you do nothing more than the world. And if you love all those who love you, and hate those who hate you, you do nothing more than the world. And then Jesus ends with this, therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with me as we read through all of this, but all of these things come back to one main issue. As I said at the beginning of, of the sermon, and that issue is our heart. If my hands are clean before you all, but my heart is dirty, truly everything I do is dirty. But if my heart is clean, truly everything I do will be clean. Jesus says it's not the thing that goes in that defiles you, it's the things that come out. And he also says from the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. I want to end on this one verse out of James 4, two verses, I'm sorry, starting in verse 8. We're going to read verse 8 and verse 10. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And in verse 10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of God. You know what he's going to do? Man, he's going to lift you up. The reality is, without the Lord's help, you're not going to be perfect. You are going to stumble. You are going to fall. But if you humble yourself before God, if you seek to cleanse your heart, he's going to lift you up. And if we seek to love like God's love, we will fulfill the law for love fulfills the law of Christ. So just as God's love is perfect, let us be perfect. As his giving towards you and the rest of this world has been perfect, let us be perfect. As God's word is unquestionable, and he fulfills it every time, so must we. As he does not divorce you or break his covenant with his people, do not 
break or disdain your covenant with your spouse. As his desire for you is always good, let your desires be pure before him. As he honors others and seeks reconciliation with himself through Christ, honor others and seek reconciliation. And as he teaches all good things, and everything God does is righteousness, let our hearts be purified with the desire to seek that righteousness ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that even in the midst of such a daunting command to be perfect the way you are, that you provide the power. You provide the way. And the only way is Jesus Christ and his spirit, which is given to us as a gift. We're so thankful, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of these areas where we've fallen short. We, for, we pray for forgiveness for the things we have forgotten, the things we've done in haste. But Lord, we're thankful that you are good and that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who was the propitiation for our sins and also for the whole world. Thank you, Lord, that because of him, you're well pleased with us. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can be righteous before you. So bless us, keep us, and help us in these things to remember and to do with joy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.